everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it is a How I Got Here version of the podcast with Joey Meyer, who is the spotter for Brad Kozlowski and the pilot for Brad Kozlowski. Yes, he's got the dual pilot spotter thing going on, so he flies Brad to the race, then spots for Brad at the race during the race weekend. Then immediately after the race, he flies Brad home from the race. So he's got some busy Sundays, and he's got a lot going on, but he was nice enough to sit down and talk about his career and life story and uh, crazy uh, interesting background that I really didn't know at all how he got to this point in his life. But that's what this series is for, learning about people like this. I've, I've really enjoyed doing that this year, so hopefully this is another one that you enjoy. Let's take a listen to how Joey Meyer got to where he is today. All right, everybody, I'm here with Joey Meyer, who is both the spotter for Brad Keselowski and the pilot for Brad Keselowski. Uh, I believe, are, are you maybe the only uh, pilot spotter uh, full-time guy in NASCAR history? No, actually. Oh. No, no. Actually, that's actually where a lot of pilots uh, used to be. What? Uh, really? Yeah, Dale Earnhardt's pilot, Terry Labonte's pilot, Harry Gann's pilot. They all spotted back in the day when, before a spotter was required, the pilot was already at the racetrack. And, oh. the, and, and the, with the limited manpower and the availability of the pilots, one of the things that we do well on the radio, as you know from most piloting, is we talk on the radio well. So Mike Collier, uh, Danny Collar, uh, Eddie Mason Cup, those three come to mind, they would actually spot. And then uh, Eddie Mason Cup stayed with Terry Labonte the longest. Um, I'm kind of the second generation, if you would, pilot spotter, but I am the only one right now that does both fly and spot. Wow, that's fascinating. See, I, I've already learned something. We're like less than a minute into the uh, into the podcast here. But so, Joey, um, you know, obviously you've been with, with Brad for quite a while now for, I guess, his whole career. So so Brad and I met uh, when I was at DEI, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, back in 2006. Um, to back up just a couple of years, Martin Truex Jr. ran the Bush Series in 04 and 05 with Chance 2. I was with him. And then at the end of 05, he went cup racing. I went with him in the cup car. We didn't have a Bush team at DEI. A younger, new kid come to the garage uh, in 2006 that was driving for a lower-funded team out of Tennessee, uh, Keith Coleman Racing, Brad Keselowski. He asked me, hey, I need a spotter. We had no idea. I'd never really heard of the Keselowskis. had seen his mom on the roof a little bit, but had never met any of them. And I started spotting for him at Keith Coleman Racing in 2006. Then he went to Junior Motorsports in 07 a little bit, and they only had a single car team over there. Whenever he would run uh, a second team with Dale Jr. driving, then I would spot for Brad, and then essentially TJ was spotting for Dale Jr. then. So I stayed with Brad and did at least one race from 2006 all the way till he came to Penske in 2010. I was at DEI spotting for Truex. Truex left DEI in 2009. McMurray was coming over to fill that spot, right? He was bringing his own spotter at the uh -huh. time. So I was going to be out of a spotting gig, but I was still going to be able to fly at Champion Air. Well, everybody was trying to figure out how I was going to fly for one race team and spot for another. And mm. as you can imagine, the logistics of that wasn't going to work out well. The fall race of Michigan in 2009, Brad approached me and says, hey, I think I'm making a deal here. I'd like you to come fly my airplane that I don't have yet. 
and spot for me at this new race team. He's like, I can't tell you who it's with, but it's a big name team. I said, let's talk about it as it gets further. And the rest is history. So he came to Penske in January of 2010, and I left DEI at the same time and came with Brad, and I've been with him ever since. Wow. See, I didn't even realize that you were with Brad before he was the Brad <clears throat> we know today, where you'd picked him up early. But um, I guess one thing, that that's pretty much the extent of your history that I even uh, know of at all. So going back before that, I guess um, I, I'm sort of wondering what, what came first, essentially, the, the piloting or the... The spotting. I, I'm assuming it's the piloting based on um, what you were saying about flying with Champion Air. So how did, how did this all get started for you? Yeah, so we're going to back up to where even before I was born. Okay. okay. So <laughs> even before I was born. All right, my that's father, far back. Yeah, my father and my uncle were involved in NASCAR in 1958. They both raced on the beach. What? The last year uh, that they raced on the beach, dad and uncle drove a sportsman car and a modified car and on the last race in 1958 on the beach. Wow. Uh, qualified back then in the flying mile. Uh, unfortunately, my father's car broke during qualifying. He qualified, but uh, he qualified for the race, but wasn't able to start because we didn't have backup engines in 1958. But my uncle qualified, I believe, in the top 15, and I've got a really nice picture that's actually in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mr. Wood was on the pole, and in that shot, you can see the number 237 is is. 10th row maybe 8th row back there wow. so he actually qualified so they've been in racing all my life so when I was born uh, I was actually born on a Wednesday my mom was at the track the previous Saturday before I was born at the races with my dad so now we fast forward now I'm old enough to work on cars that's what I'm going to do for a living I'm going to work on cars you want to be like a mechanic yep worked on cars grew up at Hialeah Speedway I was going to be around race cars going to work on cars as a living took auto mechanics in school for two and a half years uh, I graduate. Uh, now my mom and dad were divorced when I was very young at a year, so I never knew them together. Lived in the same town, uh, had very good parents, saw both of them all the time. I graduated on a Wednesday. Uh, my mom was at my dad's house for one of the first times that I could ever remember as a get-together. And that Saturday I was at Hialeah Speedway, as I normally would, working on McCann Motorsports Street Stock or Thunder Car. And my mom was involved in an aviation accident. Oh, uh, she was severely injured, uh, recovered la later on. But that's I had never been around aviation up to that point. That sucked me in to aviation. But really? I was around automotive. I was going to be a race car mechanic or an automotive mechanic. That was it. So in 84, with her accident, it drew me into aviation. I moved down to Marathon, which is where she was recovering. And I worked at the airport. Uh, as a line guy working at the airport and they gave us a really good incentive to get my pilot's license even after i got my pilot's license i then quit flying and went back to aviation maintenance for two and a half years got my airframe and power plant license and i was still trying to pursue that career uh, somewhere down the road in aviation maintenance uh, flying was really a secondary thought because i was again a gearhead going to turn wrenches moved back down to marathon as an amp mechanic working in the back Started flying a little bit, uh, again, trying to fulfill some of my licenses. Dale Earnhardt flew into Marathon, Florida. One of the Before he had any of his boats, he'd gotten one of his first King Airs. He flew into Marathon, Florida in 1988. The day that I met him and my future boss, who was Mike Collier, who spotted for Dale in the bush car back then, it instantly changed my career path. Huh. And now I went from being a possible airline guy, most likely gearhead aviation maintenance guy. Now I want to com combine racing and flying because I didn't know there was a, an ability there. So then I got all my ratings. Wait, so but how how did the 
meeting with them go or why why well i was a huge earner i was a huge nascar fan okay so i was i had my toolbox back in the aviation maintenance and, a, and a, one of the line guys uh, alex came over and said you're not going to believe who's out here so the tail number was one delta echo had the dale earnhardt before the logo the crest we became famous with but had his signature on the tail he's like you're not going to believe who's here dale earnhardt's here there's no way i rolled my toolbox out to the plane he signed the back of my toolbox, which I still have. Wow. And I met Mike Collier, my boss. Wore him out, you know, all day long. Just a super fan. He was in the FBO, you know, as we sit around and bullshitting. Just huge fan. He made the mistake of giving me his cell phone number. <laughs> and uh, and I have it, same number to this day. From 1988, right, he had a cell phone. To this day, it's the same number. So it's kind of wow. cool. But I called him all the time. And I finished all my ratings. And I said, all right, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work for you one day. I call him every month. Hey, man, cool race. He didn't care about racing. He was flying, you mm-hmm. know, but I was a huge race fan. So I left, had gotten all my ratings uh, down there, went to Connecticut for a couple of years to do charter, cargo, and maintenance again. Went to the airlines from 92 to 97. What airlines? Uh, I was at Trans States Airlines. It was the TWA regional carrier. Wow. And we did that for five years. But in the middle of that, in, in the late 96s, I really wanted to pursue getting out to nor- the North Carolina area. I was living in St. Louis. And I moved, I uh, came out resume, dressed up in a goofy suit. And my best story about that is I walked into a race shop. Um, back then, there wasn't a fan zone, mm-hmm. right? And I walked into the back of this shop and I sat in one of the guys' office. And here I am in my goofy blue suit with a packet of resumes. And a gentleman walks in and he says, How did you get in here? I said, I just walked through that door. He says, <laughs> Well, make sure it's locked on your way out. Have a nice day. Oh. That gentleman was Paul Andrews. <laughs> I'd walked into that race shop. Now, we fast forward really quick. Years later, he worked at DEI, <laughs> flew on my airplane, and I had, oh, to re- I had to remind him of that stupid story of some guy in a blue suit. He's like, I remember that. He goes, if some guy was just sitting in my office. And I go, yeah, that was me. Oh, my gosh. So in 96, I went over to Mooresville, uh, attempted to get a job. Mike Collier actually set me up with an interview over at Jasper because they were in Indiana. Uh, I called and said, man, I really don't want to work there. I want to work for you. He said, well, mm-hmm. I think we're going to expand. I think we're going to expand. Hold on. Then if you remember, uh, if we go back in history, Jeff Green was just starting to drive the 14 car, uh, the, the the Toys for Kids or something car. We actually missed a race. Um, then Steve Park was getting into the, the Bush car um, after Jeff Green got out of it. And then we started expanding into the cup side. When we did that, we got our second King Air. And the minute they got that second King Air, Mike called and said, hey, are you still interested? Wow. Two weeks later, I was there. And I've been at DEI right away. So I went to school at the end of June for the King Air. Went three days. The fourth day, I came home to unload my truck. The fifth day, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with the Bush team and the truck team racing Milwaukee. Wow. And that was how fast it happened. So then right away, the minute I was at the racetrack, I had wrenches in my hand, had no idea of spotting at the time. We had a perfect spotter, uh, Steve Chris, spotter for Dale Jr., uh, Kevin Cram spotted for Ron Hornaday. And I was listening to those guys going, man, that's really cool. I think I can do this. You know, didn't really have any, I was still working in the garage. That's what I did. Uh, Tony Sr. used to tell me, because I'd run back and forth at the time from the truck team to the Bush team, because I was the only one flying them, so I knew both teams really well. He's like, you got to pick a team, son. you got to tell me, <laughs> who, who are you going to work with? So it was just one of those funny stories that I showed up in my white tennis shoes and here I'm at the racetrack working on one of these cars. And that kind of worked its way through uh, the late 90s uh, Dale Jr. Went, went cup racing, still worked in the garage, worked alongside Jeff Clark, did a lot of underneath, uh, helped him change valve springs right there. Wow. And, and then they had the big ARCA wreck, late 90s, 2000-ish. 
um, they had that uh, fatal ARCA wreck at Charlotte. And NASCAR changed the rules because up to that point, we didn't have to have a spotter for practice. We'd spot from the top of the truck. Well, we only had a couple of Kingers at the time. Manpower was very low. I was at the racetrack. I was able to go spot. So I'd work on the car, go spot practice, come back down, work on the car. We didn't spot qualifying then. And then for the race, the other spotter, which was Stevie Reeves, would fly in. So then Ty Norris would do the eight car which I did during practice because I was working on that car at the time in the garage. Hmm. And then Stevie would fly in and do the one car. But during practice on Fridays and Saturdays, I would spot for Dale Jr. on Fridays and Saturdays. Ty would spot for the one car. And then Stevie would fly in on Sunday. So I was doing practice only, really staying in the garage. If we go back to 2001, very famous scene at Dover, where a kid runs out and hands Dale Jr. a big flag, that was me. What? Yeah. You ran, you're the one that gave the American flag? After the 9-11 race? Yes. That's me. I did not know that. Yep. I was the one that I, I actually cut it down. We were going to Victory Lane, and uh, I grabbed a snips, cut the flag off. I was walking to Victory Lane with it, and he said, come bring me that big flag. So I jumped over the wall with it and walked out, and I'm the one that put it in the car. No way. So that's, again, very small world. Um, huh. So then when Michael came to DEI in 2001, initially Danny Collar was spotting for him, and I, I – uh, made the move to go spot full-time on the 15 car. We won the Daytona 500. We were the first car in victory lane with the new victory lane at Daytona. We won one of the uh, 150 races. In fact, it was the first 150 race because I couldn't get to victory lane. At the time, we didn't have the crossover. Uh-huh. You know, So I, so our, my very, very first win was at Daytona as a spotter. And then um, Michael's career uh, changed, and I was with Truex in 0405 with the Bush team. And I went full-time with Truex in 06, 07, and 08. Got Truex's first win at Dover, which was fantastic. Wow. Thought thought we were in really good shape at DEI. You know, at the time, we were expanding. Things were going really well. And then something real small happened. Some driver left. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and then everything kind of took a turn for downhill and met Brad. And here I am uh, years later. So it's, it's been an interesting path from where I started to where I am. Wow. So that, that um, raises a couple questions uh, through through the story that you just told uh, that are, I mean, it's a really fascinating story. Um, first of all, I guess, so you were, you were a big Earnhardt fan and big NASCAR fan. Once you got to be working for um, the airline with the, if, his company, um, did you have much interaction with them and what was it like to be around him? So uh, we'll back up even before. Uh, at the airlines, you have a pilot bag. Everybody's seen the pilots walking through the big black briefcase-looking thing. I had his white decaled signature on the side of my pilot bag. So, yeah, so I was a huge fan. So now we fast-forward to being hired. Um, flying Dale Earnhardt and working for Dale Earnhardt was uh, essentially like working for my dad. It was that big of an honor. Uh, I lost my father on my 30th birthday in 96, got hired at Dale's in 97. He was instantly the guy that I not only looked up to, but wanted to impress. I wanted to make sure that my standards met him before that would have been my father. And Dale, not that he even knew it, but he was the guy that whenever you work for somebody, regardless of who that boss was, you wanted to make sure Dale was happy. Mm-hmm. And the flying side, he would ride out normally. He rode on the plane, so I flew him quite a bit on the team plane to the racetrack. And then, he, and then Teresa and Taylor at the time, who was young enough to be in school, would ride out uh, either Saturday or Sunday, and he would ride home with them. But a little bit of trivia, uh, I was actually fortunate enough to be one of the spotters at the 24-hour race. So I spotted for Dale at the 24-hour race with Ty Norris, and we had Andy Pilgrim and Dale Jr. and, and Mr. Freon, and those guys drove that Corvette. Um, 
but uh, he walked in. We flew home after that 24-hour race, handed me a little cash money, said, man, I really appreciate it, and take your wife to dinner for being gone <laughs> so long. So working for him was there's nothing but accolades that I could say. Um, he's everything that anybody's ever said good uh, that I could ever re- remember, uh, and it was a huge crushing blow to me personally as it was to the industry uh, when he left us in February of '01. But up to that point, I mean, my life was set. I was going to be there forever, and I would have been there forever. Like if if there was ever a chance for me to get a tattoo, it would have been of the DEI crest, yeah. which I don't have any tattoos. But that was as close to where, you know, I figured I was going to be there forever. You know, and then a lot of people's worlds change in 01. But that's working for him was fantastic. Wow. So given your your sort of roots um, in, in racing and everything, I guess, uh, you know, you ever reminisce like with Dale Jr. or people like that and be like, hey, you know, you know, remember when it was like this or remember when I was flying or you remember when, I mean, cause now I feel like you're you or like, you know, people say Joey Meyer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great spotter. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, you're at this high position. You, you know, you have a radio show and things like that. But I mean, when, before you were super well known, you're just, you know, flying people and doing a little bit of spotting. I mean, working on the eight car. I mean, do you yeah. ever have, you know, conversations where you reminisce about that kind of stuff? You know, it's interesting because I was fortunate to, uh, Dale did a video with Matthew Good and the Matthew Good Band. And we went to Memphis. We went to Texas. We went to Vegas. Uh, we were gone for the whole week doing that video. Well, I was the pilot and they stuck me in a couple of the scenes of the video. It's, it's really a lot of fun. Wait, so if we went back on YouTube you, and found Matthew, that? Yep, Matthew Good with Dale Jr., you'll see a couple of pictures of me in the plane. and Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's pretty funny. But no, we do. You, the thing about back in the day, you know, a lot of us, when we go back in the day, quote unquote, we didn't realize back in the day how good we had it. Mm. Well, that's a unique thing about that time, uh, specifically when Dale was around. And, and even soon after he left, 02, 03, 04, we all knew how good we had it. Like, that's how because we had so much fun at the time. It's a different mentality in the garage now, not that it's bad, but you're worried about the future more now. Like then, there was no concern about the future. You were there to enjoy every day, and you got to enjoy every day. Dale Jr. and Michael Waltrip, Steve Park, Ron Hornaday, those guys, Kenny Wallace was over there for a little while. Daryl Waltrip was over there for you know a handful of races. They made They just made things so much fun that you enjoyed every day. So that when we go back in the day, it's not like, man, I wish I'd have known how good we had it. We all knew how good we had it. Uh, I still am very fortunate to our planes are parked very close together in the same airport in North Carolina. So I see Dale on a, not a, we don't go to lunch every day, but I do see him. I filled in, in fact, a year ago, I actually flew his airplane out here with his main pilot. And there's always been that relationship. I got a couple of texts that I've saved on my phone that have come from Dale over the time that just make me realize that he has always appreciated the people around him. And fortunately I've been one of those people around him. So it, it, he really has an appreciation level a lot like his dad. He's not going to go on the mountaintops and scream your name, but behind closed doors, which is really cool. He, he does make it uh, very known that you're appreciated and, and the time that you were around and helping. I was there on, see, I helped on that team when he was coming up in the Bush car in the 31 car. I was one of those crew members. That was wow. the extra guy, Wesley Sherrill, who's now on the 18 over at Gibbs car. There was a th- scabbed crew that was thrown together. Well, I was one of those guys, wow. you know, and it was really cool to be a part of that. And you, and you appreciate it then. Uh, obviously now you appreciate it by going back, but no, you, you reminisce because you, you appreciated those times, but you did appreciate it back then. And that's what made it so enjoyable. That's really fascinating. Um, I think one thing that, 
that people might want to know also that they're listening to the story was um, you mentioned that your mom was in an aviation accident in mm-hmm. 84, I think you said, yep. and, and that is what um, sucked you into it. Yep. Uh, if we can go to, back to that for a minute, wh- why, um, why did that create sort of an interest in aviation and what, like, wh- was she in a plane that crashed or like what, what happened? Yeah. So she was hers. Uh, the gentleman that she was dating at the time was actually uh, a seaplane instructor from the factory, a uh, lake, uh, it's a lake amphibian. And a lake amphibian is a very unique looking airplane if you saw one, because it doesn't sit on floats, it actually lands on the hull of the airplane. The engine's on top and it's turned around backwards. It's a unique airplane, one of the most fun airplanes I've ever flown. But they were flying, he was goofing around, and they wrecked. She, uh, unfortunately, when he wrecked, when they wrecked, he was thrown out of the airplane and, and had no damage. Her seatbelt was very loose on her, as we tend to do in the airlines. Uh, anybody rides, they don't they don't put their seatbelt on tight. Well, when they wrecked, she was bounced around, and she ended up breaking her neck in two different spots. Wow. And, and from that point on, it intrigued me because, A, I didn't know enough about aviation how to prevent her accident or, or how it happened or what caused it, and that drew me an interest into making sure I was more educated on that subject. And then I started taking flying lessons. It was just, it was that simple. It was hmm. something that I never thought, you know, as a kid, you grow up and you're thinking about an airline pilot. Oh, my God, doctor, airline pilot. They're like right together. Well, now I understand it's a different – I'm not saying you don't have to be smart, but at the time I didn't think I was smart enough to be an airline pilot or any pilot for that matter. So it drew me in realizing that I am capable of being a pilot and, and being good enough at it over a long term to excel in the industry to promote – uh, the aviation industry, which I'm a huge proponent of the industry. Uh, I speak once a week just about to somebody um, in the industry trying to to promote the industry because it has such a bad rap. After Michigan, uh, we were able to, to run a couple of friends down to Myrtle Beach for a couple of days. They thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Uh, ran a bowling tournament last week in Syracuse, brought the truck driver, the 48 home, who we bowled together. He had never been in a small airplane, thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So I try to, every time I have a chance to introduce somebody to, a, to my industry, uh, I want to be prepared mentally and, and educationally that I can promote the industry. So that's how it got me started. I'm like, if this happened to my mom, I've got to be able to prevent this. And the only way to prevent it was to be in the industry and educate myself. And that's how I started flying. Do you think, uh, given how the modern day NASCAR is today, um, is there a path for somebody else to be a potter, a spotter slash pilot? I guess you could say potter or (laughs) pilot. You know, it's interesting because the industry itself relies on aviation. It it has to survive. As you know, you run the airlines. Mr. Jensen runs the airlines. Extremely unreliable. You have to build in lots of cushion before and after trying to get home or trying to get to a racetrack. Race teams simply can't do that. So private aviation may be a luxurious way to travel, but it's not a luxury. It's a necessity. We have to use it. We have to have private aviation. So there's always going to be a spot for pilots in the NASCAR industry. Conversely, uh, there's 40 race cars on the track on every given Sunday. Every one of those cars have to have a spotter. So there's always going to be a need for a spotter. But guys, today, uh, the relationship between a driver and a spotter is tighter than ever. And when when I got started and drivers came to a new race team, they just used whoever that spotter was because the spotter worked for the race team. Now, if Brad were to leave or we saw Carl Edwards leave, we see drivers move. Matt Kenseth, when they move, they bring their spotter with them. So it's very important for somebody trying to get into the industry, A, 
the only way you can get a job in the industry is to be in the garage, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to call you at home and go, hey, we're looking for a spotter. Right. It's somebody that has to be at the racetrack. The best way to be that is to be that voluntary crew guy and you get hired on to a full-time job. And that's not starting at the Cup Series. Mm-hmm. That's starting on the k side, starting on the ARCA side, starting at the truck time. You know, which is what I did originally working in the garage. I didn't walk into the cup garage and they said, hey, that guy looks like his head will fit a headset. (laughs) It it didn't work that way. You know, you worked your way up. And that's what's really important. Um, Fortunately, I have a really cool job. I'm very aware of it. Flying and spotting are two really cool things. But it didn't start there. You know, uh, as you've heard back in the 80s, I flew cargo and charter and flight instructed, which I still do. Those are things that still keep me in the sport. But you have to be in the garage. And once you're there, then the opportunities exist, whether it's a tire test um, and you're going to go try to spot because we don't have a spotter for that, or even somebody being in the garage looking for some volunteer help. You have to be in the garage first in order to get a job in the garage. It doesn't, it doesn't work any other way. So there's definitely two avenues uh, that are still available and will always be available. Race teams are always looking for help. Not Hendrick, not Penske, I get. <laughs> right. But you can go down right now at star.com, Star of Racing, you know, they're looking for help. TriStar uh, is looking for help. Guaranteed, if you show up wanting to push a car around the garage, they're going to allow you to do it. You know, Maybe pay you expenses and a little bit of per diem, and you can get in the garage. Um, definitely over in the truck side, definitely over in Nick's Vandy side. They're, people are looking for help. You're not going to go to work for Chad and and Jimmy Johnson as your first job, and that's what I think some people tend to tend to forget. But mm-hmm. uh, those opportunities exist. You just have to be open to to moving around the country, as I did, and uh, getting in the garage and, and pushing a race car around. Wow, well, quite a story. You've uh, given us a lot to chew on here, and uh, really appreciate you, you taking so much time and, and joining us here. Cool, I appreciate the opportunity. It's uh, always fun to talk about two two industries that I thoroughly enjoy, and and have had the fortunate time to be associated with some good race teams. Thank you. Yep. All right, everybody, so there you have it. Pretty cool stuff there. Uh, Really enjoyed hearing from Joey. Had no idea about his background and his father racing on the beach and things like that. Um, I I knew a little bit about uh, flying for Dale Earnhardt, but not a lot and and didn't know the details of that. So that that was pretty cool as well and how they met. Just just so interesting how people end up in their positions today. And it just really shows you, you never know when that that big life-changing moment is going to come. Speaking of life-changing moments, I had one about a year and a half ago when I started this podcast and the website jeffgluck.com. I started on Patreon, and that's a website where people give uh, monthly donations and pledges, and that is what allows me to make a living, go to the racetrack. And so each episode of the podcast, when I have new patrons or people who have increased their pledge, I want to thank them for pledging $10 or more a month. And so this week, I would like to thank Kimberly Clark, David Heydrich, and Becky Parton. Thank you all so much for coming on board or increasing your pledges. Uh, it, it truly means a lot. And every time I'm flying somewhere to the track, I kind of like look out the window and I'm like, wow, this is pretty amazing that people are getting me to these places. So it is uh, really appreciated. Coming up on the next episode of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast, guess what? It's going to be a post-race podcast from Daytona International Speedway. I'm headed there. Uh, I'm probably actually already at the track, perhaps as you're hearing this or on my way there. I'm recording this on July 4th and then um, publishing the podcast, editing the transcript and all that stuff, and then hopefully we'll be mostly ready to go. Uh, I'm on a red-eye flight uh, tonight on July 4th, and hopefully by the time you hear this, I will have landed in Orlando and driven straight to the track for all the race days, and I'll be getting even more how I got here and more 12 questions interviews 
as we speak right at this moment, right when you're listening to this. So I hope that's the case anyway. But there will be a post-race podcast Saturday night uh, after the race. Uh, I will not leave the track until that post-race podcast is done and posted. So I know it might be late, but if any of you happen to be awake and want a breakdown of the race at midnight or whenever that may be, uh, that will be up. And then I'm staying up all night and flying back home. So it's going to be an interesting flying weekend for sure. And then some of the upcoming podcasts, I'm planning on doing interviews this weekend for the 12 questions with Casey Kane, Kaz Grala, Denny Hamlin. So a bunch of people kind of trying to stockpile some up, maybe get ahead of the curve a little bit as we start to go into the fall here, since I'm I'm going to be missing several races, maybe four or five races with uh, the birth of my daughter and not exactly sure when she's going to arrive. So um, I, I'm going to try to start doing some advanced podcasting and see if that works out. So uh, that's the plan for this week. So that's some of the upcoming episodes that you may be looking for. Anyway, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast with Joey Meyer. Appreciate you listening as always. And I'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.